This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Matt's Plane today. Uh, I'm Rich Bradbury. Twitter. Um, it's all I need to say, really. Uh, Matt doesn't want to do it, uh, of course, so he's forcing me to do it. Uh, you probably don't want him to do it in reality, but here we are, all over again. Again, again, again. Uh, that was for the Father Ted fans out <laughs> there. Um, no, so um, last week, of course, Richard was away, so I had the run of BFM. I actually had the uh, entire studios to myself. I, uh, at one point, considered taking over the station for the entire day, um, but then I realized it would actually be a lot of work, and pfft, Frankly, I couldn't be bothered. So, uh, uh, you know, I've been binge watching uh, repeats of the medical drama Scrubs for the past few weeks. And I thought, well, I'd rather spend uh, 10 hours watching that than live casting to what would undoubtedly be a quickly diminishing audience. (laughs) Um, So the reason I'm talking about all of this is that, you know, I'm trying to avoid talking about Twitter. Um, Yeah, get on with it. Yeah, I know. Well, last week, uh, when I was on my own, I didn't really talk about Elon Musk and Twitter other than in passing. And I was hoping that that was how I was going to keep it. You know, the Mm. sale had gone through. Elon is chief twit. And Mm. given that most people don't really care about what happens in the birdie verse, um, I was going to leave it there. Uh, And, you know... Me and the audience are so excited uh, that you've changed your mind. And that's just it. I mean, I haven't changed my mind. My mind's kind of been changed for me. Um, there's so much new uh, noise, rather, uh, around this um, that the, the truth and the lies are becoming so commingled that I thought it was probably better to say something, especially because Elon Musk is, you know, this extremely polarizing figure. On the one hand, you have this group of extreme fanboys, and they are mostly boys, who Mm -hmm. think his every action or public pronouncement is, you know, a staggering work of profound genius. And at the other end, there's a group of people think that he's this monstrous threat to democracy and, you know, all that is nice, um, you know, some kind of billionaire tyrant with a messiah complex. And mm. while elements of all or some of those things might be true, um, he's certainly a smart guy with uh, a lot of money who isn't averse to bullying people. That is something that could describe people we all know, probably Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. we work with, you know, smart people with money who bully other people. And imagine that colleague of yours, if they had a hundred million devotees on Twitter, you know, imagine what that person would be like. So the point of today is to try and spell out some of what's going on with Twitter or the part of it that we can at least see and explain why it matters to those of us who don't use the platform uh, and, you know, don't really care so much. (laughs) Well, that all sounds riveting, Matt. Riveting. Well, I mean, you say riveting. Um, In a couple of weeks, if I can get my act together, we might talk about the Binance and FTX crypto exchange mergers. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. 
well, there you go. I thought that would be in the boring category, but obviously you do <laughs> find that riveting. Um, so, yeah, we'll have a, a quick look at what's happened um, sort of in the kind of wider crypto sphere this year. Um, and next week, I think we'll have a quick revisit to the metaverse and have a look at what's been happening there over the past few months. Mm. Uh, because I think it's going to be interesting to see as well this whole intersection uh, between the the kind of metaverse and blockchain and the Web3 space. So that's why the kind of Binance and metaverse stuff goes kind of hand in hand. Um, mm. But you see, I've drifted off to not Twitter again. Um, because that's what it can feel like, uh, you know, covering tech sections of the community that it's like twitter and everything else is not twitter yeah. uh, and you know the the day that the takeover happened i woke up and it was the lead story on all of these news sites you know it was lead story on the new york times everywhere you looked it was the lead story mm. and to be honest i find that quite absurd um and obviously i'm mostly talking from US and UK perspectives here because most of the media I consume is, you know, US or UK or Australia based. Um, but when you look at the kind of the the wider picture, Britain's government had just fallen. Uh, they just installed their third prime minister in months without a popular vote. The US is uh, in the midst of one of the most contentious midterm elections in its history. There's an energy price crisis linked to a global cost of living crunch. Uh, there are economies on the edge of recession. Uh, I think the Bank of England was predicting that prime minister number two of 2022, the co-architect of September's catastrophic mini-budget, um, mm is pushing the country into one of its worst recessions in living memory. And people live a long time these days. You know, living memory isn't 30 years anymore. It's closer <laughs> to a century. And that's without talking about the war in UK, uh, Ukraine. So the idea that Twitter should be the lead story in the middle of this awful chaotic year is absurd. And it probably has a lot more to do with the obsession of the media uh, and with the obsession of the political classes uh, with the platform than anything that, that sort of ordinary people really feel. Right. Um, okay. So what are some of the more, um, I guess, egregious stories that you've heard over the past week? I think the one that's really been doing the rounds and getting people all fired up uh, over nothing has been the actual firing memo. So there's been a video going round, supposedly from a Twitter systems engineer, I'm sure you've seen it, Richard, uh, holding up a printout of the email he got telling him he was fired. So the email was basically just memes of Elon Musk, photos and captions saying, you're fired in mm -hmm. supposedly humorous fashion. The engineer went on to say that other Twitter colleagues received mails with slightly different wordings and images, but, you know, the, the kind of same gist. So do we stop and think about whether that's real or not? Um, mm -hmm. You know, if someone posted a, a video like that, that was an email of photos of Jeff Bezos saying, you're fired as a termination notice, um, if that came from a Jeff Bezos, even though I know he's not the boss of Amazon anymore, or a Mark Zuckerberg or some other new economy titan, no one would believe it. You'd instantly know it was a parody or think it was a flat-out lie. Um, now, admittedly, Mark Zuckerberg is in the process of laying off 11,000 people as we speak, <laughs> but, you know, irony, irony. Um, 
But because Musk has this reputation for outlandish stunts, we don't give it that same kind of critical thought. You know, when he took over Twitter, he literally labored into the building under the weight of a sink. And he wasn't even making the good joke, the good joke that, you know, losing or taking everything but the kitchen sink. Um, He was making a very labored joke about, I own Twitter, let that sink in. I mean, on a comedy level, that's open mic night level. That's not even (laughs) club regular level. So because he has this reputation for outlandish stunts and behavior, you know, casually calling someone a, a pedo or baiting financial regulators, we're quick to believe what was obviously a spoof created by a TikTok comedian. Right. Did you manage to to read any of the actual uh, termination uh, memos? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how many versions went out. I think the one I saw was published on Business Insider, and it was fairly blunt. You know, today's your last working day at Twitter, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Um, After that, apparently the details differed according to the employment laws that um, the, the different employee contracts were governed by because, you know, this is a worldwide company. There are employees in lots of different legal jurisdictions. Uh, I think what really got me about that was that the copy of the email I saw was signed off Twitter. Right. Uh, No human being was willing to put their name to the decision to upend someone's life. So, yes, Elon Musk has taken responsibility for the layoffs at that global, that macro level. But the individual who has maybe been an exemplary employee, you know, the chances are they've been a more or less average one because that's what most of us are. It doesn't mean we're bad at the job. It doesn't mean we don't care about the the company. Statistically, most of us have to fall into the average employee range. So why insult somebody with a memo that's signed off by the company? You know, Twitter mm-hmm. isn't a person. Twitter mm-hmm. didn't decide to fire you. Um, Musk probably didn't personally demand or order your termination, but there was a person who did, and that person should have the courage to admit it. And on the back of this, um, there are already reports of various class action suits being prepared for alleged violations of termination notice periods in some jurisdictions. Uh, and I think if I've got this right, because the sequence of all of these things is just all over the place, I think Musk did actually apologize for the way that so many people were laid off. Um, But do you want to get into the details of why so many people had to be laid off? I I mean, maybe, probably after the break. Um, But let's get some of the, you know, the the basic facts nailed down first. Um, Other than me, who uses Twitter? I, I don't know. I think it's just you, actually. Um, no, I mean, there, there are there are actually a, a few different answers to that question. So um, we'll go with the statistical approach first. Uh, there are lots of numbers floating around for this. It's not necessarily that the numbers are contradictory, but they can appear to be. A lot of the time, it's the difference between calculating daily active users and monthly active users. So you might see a statistic that says 30 million and then one that sees says 300 million. It's just the Mm. difference in the way that they've been calculated. But even on um, big kind of data aggregation sites like Statista, there are big discrepancies. Uh, On one chart I saw on their site, it puts monthly active users at about 330 million. I've heard other people say it's about 
250 million. Um, because all of this data comes from different research agencies, I, I think there's even another that says it's 400 million. But there does seem to be some consistency around that 330 million monthly active users figure. So we'll go with that as a benchmark. Now, that sounds pretty good. Over 300 million people using your platform every month. But in the social sphere, in terms of raw numbers, that makes Twitter a niche product. Uh, on one of the uh, statistographs I referenced, uh, the one that put the active users at over 400 million a month at the start of 2022, Twitter ranked 15th out of the social networks. Now, there are 15 social networks, you ask. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, at the top, you have uh, Facebook with 2.9 billion, YouTube with 205 billion. WhatsApp is hovering around the 2 billion mark. Uh, even TikTok sneaks in at 1 billion. And of course, there are a whole bunch of Chinese networks like WeChat, QQ, Sina Weibo, all of those kind of things. Reddit? We'll get there. Um, okay. Pinterest and Snap are, are down towards the bottom of the list, but even those are still ahead of Twitter. You know, Pinterest. Um, I really want to meet someone who's still using Snap. I don't think I know anyone, or at least anyone who actually admits to it, but there are obviously more Snap users than there are um, tweeters. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have Twitter, which hits just above Reddit and a little bit more than Quora. So again, wow. yes, that's what's absurd about this. I mean, there are loads of things that are absurd about this. You know, million over uh, Musk overpaid for Twitter by billions. Um, most of us get upset if we're overcharged by, by a few dollars. Um, some of the banks who helped to fund the deal have probably been stung for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it's absurd that a company that was publicly traded is now in the hands of an individual and we somehow expect that to protect free speech. But mm -hmm. this is where we are. The absurdity that there's so much conversation, including this show. I mean, I don't miss the irony of that either. <laughs> but all of this conversation is about a platform whose user numbers are not far off those of Quora. And how often do we talk about Quora? I mean, never. No, the, the only time that I ever see Quora is when I Google a question and it pops up with a Quora answer. And I'm like, oh, Quora's still there. Um, but anyway. And, yeah. And then you click on it and it's full of spam and the answer's complete nonsense. So Correct. Correct. <laughs> Now, so, so therefore then, I mean, with that in mind, is this a quality versus quantity argument? I mean, we take notice of Twitter because of oh, the kind of people that use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there in just a couple of sentences. Um, certainly, there seems to be a, a class or a number of classes of people that actively use Twitter. I'm not going to say quality. Um You've got your business folk like Musk. You've got your politicians, of course, mm. where all of these people go, the media follows. Um, you know, they, they, they want to be in touch with and noticed by all of these people in the media. So it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there still seem to be a lot of techies on the platform, especially the Web3 and crypto folks. But overall, I mean, I don't know about you. It seems to be a much kind of narrower, much more tunnel vision version of the Twitter that I joined in 
2007. And I'm guess, guessing, Richard, you're probably a, a Twitter OG like me, dating back to the, the kind of mid to late noughties. Yeah. 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 A verified I mean, Twitter OG, I might add, you know. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. posh oh. man. Yes, um, yes. Without paying. <laughs> well, that won't be for long. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that there are Twitter users who weren't even born when I joined, but there probably aren't because you can sign up for Twitter at 13. But how many 13-year-olds are on Twitter? Mm. They're all on TikTok. But th- that goes back to that idea of tunnel vision. You know, I joined Twitter to talk to friends, not to bark at trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, it was a place where comedians tried out new material, where the arts community dropped news of happenings. Uh, I think pop stars like Lily Allen did fun things like, you know, instant fan meetups and giveaways, you know, things yeah, like, yeah. I've hidden two VIP passes to the show tonight at London Bridge Station. Whoever finds them gets to keep them. But you don't get that anymore, especially when platforms like Instagram, TikTok, even Snap are so much more flexible for performers and artists. So that content has naturally migrated. Um, And anyway, I mean, I know we're late for some important messages, the ones that keep us on air. So Mm -hmm. um, when we come back, uh, more on why that Twitter audience is, I won't necessarily say important, but maybe significant is a better term for it. Hang on. Are you doing your own runs into the break now? Well, on those solo episodes, I've realized I really enjoy the power that it gives me. And I'm guessing that must be how Elon Musk feels when he tweets. <laughs> it's not a solo episode, Matthew. But yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And that's why I have the final word. And here we go into a break for some important messages here on Matt's Blaine of BFM 89.9. Being first matters. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to uh, Twitter Talk here on uh, Matt's Plained. Now, obviously, before the break, uh, when you so rudely uh, tried to do my job um, and quite badly I might add Matt just you know mm. rubbing it in a little bit um, we were talking about why the important people of Twitter matter yes the important pe- uh, people yes. so as the academic and uh, technology columnist John Norton um, points out in a in a recent uh, uh, edition of his must read Substack newsletter Memex 1.1 do sign up for that it's free Um, Twitter is part of the public sphere. Now, when we say public sphere, we mean a a place where people interact to debate, to identify problems, to raise ideas and to discuss solutions. I'm not exactly sure how Twitter falls into that category, given, you know, it's 300 odd characters. But um, that's kind of why it has become this place that the media is obsessed with, because it's Mm. where politicians and academics and business leaders and technologists and scientists, you know, all these different people where they coalesce. So it's all these societal influences rather than social influences. Uh, I mean, one example is the outsized attention Trump received when he could tweet constantly. His profile is massively diminished now that he's, you know, 
limited to truth social because mm-hmm. he can't command our attention in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's something that seems to have been reflected in those initial US midterm results. And it's very much unlike a platform like Facebook, which is much more about those closed and more personal networks because, you know, Twitter is built to be that global open platform. Yes, I mean, you can make your Twitter account private, but why would you? Because the entire model is based around the idea of open discourse. Yeah. So in that sense, it is similar to the global town square idea that Elon Musk often uses. Although even that is slightly misleading because saying that suggests that everyone has an equal voice on the platform, which of course they don't because Twitter feeds into all of the same attention economy tropes that the other social media platforms are trapped by. The algorithms reward celebrity and they tend to reward, you know, the, the more kind of extreme and contentious content and comments. Right. So that idea of um, equal voices, I think it's been pointed out that the uh, vast majority of Twitter users are largely passive. Yeah, so according to a Reuters report from late October, just 10% of Twitter users generate 90% of its content. And that 10% of users actually accounts for up to half of the platform's revenue. So, you know, we've heard that term Twitter power user for a long time. Mm. Basically, Twitter power user means the 10% who matter. Right. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the same Reuters piece suggests that um, growing numbers of those power users are starting to ghost the platform. Um, and it seems to be across the board. So in the politics and news spheres, it seems to be mostly liberal voices that have left. Um, but it's across the board when you come to um, sports and entertainment categories, you know, um, fashion influencers, movie and music stars, even esports as well, apparently you know, the, the kind of power users in, in those uh, communities mm. are not tweeting frequently anymore. And those categories, sports, news, entertainment, those are the ones that advertisers are most keen to engage with. Right. Now, the fact that this has been partly op- uh, offset by the growth in crypto-related content and a lot of not-safe-for-work content only heightens the problem mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, again, the, the shady or opaque nature, uh, nature of some crypto projects and anything that's even slightly pornographic are not things that advertisers want to be associated with. Now, for the sake of balance, I should note that Twitter is adding new users faster than it has done for years since Musk's takeover. But we have to see how that translates into long-term usage. And of course, that means money. It means profit. Okay. So before we get into the monetization and freedom of speech areas, what's your biggest issue with Twitter? Well, I mean, apart from the hate speech, the intolerance, the ignorance, the lack of civil discourse and common courtesy. um, All right. (laughs) Apart from those, um, the fact that it's horrible to use. I mean, Mm. I know they've introduced lots of features over the years, but when I log on to the platform, it still feels like 2007. And it doesn't feel like it in a cute future retro kind of way. You know, I don't think anyone is nostalgic for 2007 yet. Um, and you compare it to other platforms. You know, every time I open my Facebook app, it has new tabs. And I'm mm. not saying that's necessarily a good thing. You know, 
Facebook tries and often withdraws features in short order. But there's that commitment to its users that seems to be lacking with Twitter. Now, we've heard that Musk wants to, you know, to change that, to to radically kind of redesign it in some ways. Um, He plans to make it more open source so people can effectively create their own Twitter builds. But fundamentally, it's a horrible thing to use. It's like watching the comments section on a a YouTube live cast, but without the important part, the video. Yeah, it's often very difficult to keep track of a thread of discussion. Um, I found anyway. Um, But you you mentioned the increase in new users. uh, And how is that likely to translate into monetization? Okay, well, this is where it gets kind of tricky and things start to overlap. And this is why I left it to the part of the show where people are tired and don't actually expect me to make any sense. So um, shortly (laughs) after uh, Musk took over, there was a a reported surge in hate speech. Um, People checking, really just checking the boundaries of the platform to see whether content moderation had been loosened in the name of uh, of free speech. because Musk is a self-declared free speech absolutist. Um, He has pledged not to reboard any banned users until after these US elections are done. Um, But as a result, a number of big US advertisers uh, decided to pause their spending on the platform until such time as they're sure uh, the content reflects their brand values. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I've got the sequence right here. Musk then tweeted that Twitter was losing $4 million a day. um, And he tweeted about activist groups putting pressure on advertisers. And as a result, he would need to axe about 50% of the workforce to stem the losses. And that's what set in motion the engineer meme that we talked Mm -hmm. about at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And because everything is meta these days, um, according to a report I read in Gizmodo, staff have been referring to the layoffs as the snap. You know, the the Avengers storyline where Thanos snaps his fingers while wearing the Infinity Gauntlet and eradicates half of the life in the universe. So this is the snap. Uh, Some reports have said that those job losses fell more heavily on teams that enforce community standards and moderate content. Now, that's something that's very hard to verify at this point. So Maybe or maybe not on that one. We we really don't know. But that brings us back to freedom of speech. Um, Musk, the free speech absolutist, is complaining about a bunch of social activist groups exercising their own rights to freedom of speech. Mm. Um, and he's innovated that advertisers have exercised their own freedom of speech to pause their advertising. Um, And just to be clear, Musk's own companies lobby lawmakers and other groups in exactly the same way that these activist groups have done. Um, And let's also be clear, Twitter is a privately owned company. It doesn't have any right to anybody's advertising spend. Uh, It's not like he's pledged to hand the company over to public ownership. It's a private takeover backed by commercial banks. And these people are exercising their rights in response to Musk exercising his. He also doesn't seem to like the idea of other Elon Musks. Yeah, I mean, this is... 
this is where it falls to the point where, you know, it's, it's beyond parody. Um, it, it seems that the free speech absolutist has unilaterally decided to ban people who take his name and don't make it clear that the accounts are parody accounts. Uh, a number of comedians and entertainers, people who like Richard have those blue tick verified accounts, um, mm -hmm. changed their, their screen names to Elon Musk. Now, Twitter has an existing process for accounts that try to masquerade as someone or something else. Uh, some satirical verified accounts have done that in the past. And there's a, a, a system, a series of warnings and suspensions that are handed out before you're eventually booted off the platform. Musk has unilaterally announced that anyone parodying him, unless they explicitly say it's a parody, will be permanently suspended. So you have the free speech absolutist deciding who does and doesn't stay on the platform, essentially on a whim. Reinforcing the idea to outside actors, namely advertisers, that the platform is now a rich man's toy. Um, or the fact that Musk, after advocating that the site be more balanced politically, came out and endorsed the Republican Party for the midterms. Right. Of course, he's he's exercising his freedom of speech, fine, but maybe in his role as chief twit, he should be a bit more neutral, maybe more focused on issues rather than parties or candidates. You know, I told you all of this was convoluted. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it also overlooks the money that's backing this takeover, um, and that is commercial banks. Now, they are not in the business of funding a rich man's toy they will want their money back plus a healthy profit. Um, not to mention that the US government is now thinking of looking into the prominent Saudi investors associated with the platform. Um, now, when it was a public company, Twitter was also partly Saudi-owned, but maybe the government is now more concerned because they think there's more ability to influence one individual rather than a publicly traded company. Uh, did I mention China? Um, no, you didn't actually. No. Well, China doesn't like Twitter. Um, that's not news to anyone. Um, and a lot of the more intolerant voices on Twitter, on both the left and the right, are not big fans of China either. either. Of course, Musk's real business is making cars a lot of which are made in China. Um, not to mention the fact that China is the most important global market for selling electric vehicles. So this is all a bit of a pickle, to put it mildly. Um, banks, China, Saudi Arabia, and free speech. Um, and I've no idea what kind of sandwich you'd make with those ingredients. Something obviously with pickles. Yeah, and who in their right mind wants pickles in their sandwich? Um, but you know, talking about that, that banks aspect at least does bring us back to monetization. Twitter is losing money. Musk has spent money. Reportedly, he sold off another chunk of his Tesla stock. Uh, yeah. Reports, I think, came out today. Uh, one of the first actions to be announced to increase revenue is a subscription model, which, again, may or may not be on pause. But the idea is that anyone can buy those blue tick verifications that Richard has um, <laughs> for their account for um, eight a month. Now, Musk claims that it will make the site more democratic. He said a whole bunch of stuff to explain it. 
I didn't really understand it. Um, critics have countered saying that um, it will make it easier for users to pose as other people as long as they don't say they're Elon Musk. And it will increase the spread of disinformation because anyone with $8 can pose as a credible news source. Um, Another area he's looking at uh, bringing monetization is he's also courting YouTube star influencers. He mm -hmm. plans to offer them the ability to post long-form video um, and give them a better revenue share than YouTube currently offers. Uh, I don't think they put a kind of public figure out there. Um, and he's tweeted that we can expect further announcements about monetization at all levels of the platform. Um, one of the other potentials, uh, we covered the idea of a unified slash everything app a, a few weeks ago on another episode. So I'm yeah. not going to go there again, um, especially as it seems unlikely that Twitter currently occupies the strategic space in the US that they would need to, to make a unified app happen. Um just before we finish, is there any good news? I, I know a lot of this sounds overly negative. So that brings us back to the bit about Elon Musk being smart. Um, no one thought that buying uh, an ailing electric car company called Tesla was a good idea. Nobody thought that SpaceX would ever make commercial spaceflight a thing, um, or that a company could provide satellite internet coverage to, a, you know, a, a war-riven country. Um, as much as, you know, Musk is a, a strange man who covets attention, he is also a businessman. And we shouldn't overlook the fact that this deal is funded in large parts by banks. So I don't think we're at the point where we write the platform off or say that it's in a death spiral. A lot depends on what happens to create and sustain balance on the platform. Um, Musk announced to advertisers that he didn't want it to become a, a hellscape. Um, a lot of users thought it already was. Um, I, I don't think it's a hellscape. I just find it a bit kind of sad and toxic. Um, I, I don't enjoy being there. Um, there's, there's a lot to improve, but that doesn't mean it can't be improved. Um, for all we know, it might even be sold on and the improvements might be done by somebody other than Elon Musk. Um, but ultimately, I think uh, as important as commentators like John Norton say Twitter is to that public discourse, Twitter is a privately owned platform. It's not a public platform. It mm -hmm. may strive to serve, serve the public good, but it's not obliged to. So if Twitter fails, then those voices will find somewhere else to congregate and share ideas. And if Twitter succeeds, hopefully we're all, or at least most of us, are happy with those results. Well, thank you very much for that, Matt. Thank you. I'm tired now. Now, um, do you want to do your own, you know, uh, outsell? Out do you want to do yeah, that? Yeah, I can. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you very much for listening to Matt's Blamed on uh, BFM today. If you missed uh, this show or any of BFM's shows, uh, you can uh, listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. I like to uh, listen to them on the BFM app. That's on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. And uh, this means I get to plug myself last. So you can uh, come and check out uh, my Substack newsletter or just go to culturepop.com for more information about these shows and thank you Richard for joining me
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.